In every victory, let it be said of me that my source of strength and my source of hope is in Christ alone. In every victory, I don't need the credit. Jesus Christ gets all the glory. That's what we're talking about today. We're going to begin, though, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, where Jesus provides us with three conditions for discipleship. When he says this, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He must deny himself. To deny means to refuse to accept. To deny means to renounce or to disown himself to let go. To let go not only of one's dreams and aspirations or desires, to let go not only of one's affiliations or deeply held convictions, but to let go of one's very self. And each one of these three conditions is a process all its own. Denial of self is a process. Taking up the cross is another process. Following Christ from this new spiritual posture is the final stage, the final process. If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And of course, we would all like to get to that final stage as quickly as possible, just following Jesus. We would all like to be like Jesus all at once. But we cannot become like Jesus if we skip over or if we terminate any one of these stages prematurely. The process of letting go of self takes time takes excruciating time. And it's painful because it is the process of deconstructing every narrative, of deconstructing every triumph and every marker that gives my life meaning and direction. It is an excruciating process. I have a friend who I met at Moody Bible Institute many, many years ago now. He was the president one of the leading Christian healthcare organizations. <clears throat> he had been there for over 30 years in that one position. He was being forced by his board to resign. He was getting too old to do the job, and it was time for him to retire. But every time they brought up the idea of his retirement, he would refuse to let go of the position. And I talked to him about it once, maybe even twice. And I reminded him of all of the complaints he had given to me over the years we had known each other, the rigors of the job, the customer complaints, the lawsuits, the constant traveling, all of the things he abhorred about the role, all the times he had threatened in private to quit and to leave. And now with the prospect of letting go with a generous parachute, 
my friend was more determined than ever to stay in the role. And I asked him, why was that? After all of the complaints, now they give you an open door to leave with a nice parachute. Why won't you leave? And he gave me a number of different excuses until finally he told me the truth. He said this with water in his eyes. He said, if I leave this job, I don't know who I would even be. I don't know what I would do. This job has become my life for over 30 years and I can't let it go without a fight. Letting go of that job for him would feel like losing his own identity. And yet that is the dilemma of self-denial. To let go of self consists of two equally difficult and confounding functions. To let go of myself means to relinquish my perceptions of who I am. That is difficult to do. To let go of myself also means to renounce other people's perceptions of me. That is equally difficult to do. Nobody enjoys being underappreciated. It's not a good feeling to be prejudged, misjudged, or misunderstood. Everyone wants to be known and understood. But we don't necessarily want to be known for who we truly are. We want to be understood in the way that we understand ourselves. You've taken those uh, personality tests before where they ask you about yourself and you list all of your qualities and all of your strengths and all of your weaknesses and then you turn the page and they ask you, now what do your friends think about you? And the answers are always different. You wish that your friends thought of you the way you think of yourself. Everyone wants to be known and understood for who they believe themselves to be. We want people to think of us the way we think of ourselves most of the time. But far worse than being misunderstood by others is the prospect of no longer recognizing my own self. That is a scary feeling, to no longer recognize my own self. We make ourselves. We come into this world naked with a few mentors to guide us. And to a large degree, those mentors shape us into the people that we will become. But at a certain point, somewhere during adolescent years, we each wrestle away the reins from our caretakers and we begin to self-create. We make ourselves. We begin to choose our own hair color to elect our own political party, to develop our own convictions, separate and apart from the ones who raised us. That's natural, a natural consequence of growing up. We make a name for ourselves, we accomplish big things for ourselves, we attend the right schools, if we can. We associate in the right groups, we stand for the most popular causes. We make our own definitions. And the person that we are is the person we and outside influences have created over a lifetime. And I call this myself. But God knows differently. 
Jesus knows differently. Jesus Christ knows that the me I perceive myself to be and the him that the world perceives me to be is not the person I was designed to be. I, my flesh, is my own creation with some outside influence. My personality is only window dressing. My wealth or my poverty is a red herring. My honors and my accolades, my dishonors and the world's rejections are all based on human standards and expectations that as far as God is concerned, only hinder me from living the free and joy-filled existence that he designed for me. But he calls me to it. He calls me to this first task of letting go of self. My first effort in breaking free from the stereotypes and the labels that hem me in and narrow my choices. The letting go is my first act of revolution and revolt against a man-made system that grants merits and demerits based on how well or how poorly I can please men. A self-made system that is based on how effectively I can comfort my own self through the acquisition of one more hill, one more milestone, one more accomplishment. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to let it go. To let go is to renounce not only myself, but to also set flame to the very system by which I have come to know myself. To set ablaze that same system by which I have come to know and to measure other people. To let go of myself then is to let go of the world and to no longer participate in this world's charade. To let go of self is to withdraw my confidence from the social metric by which people and actions are measured and weighed. To disengage from the world. Paul had to undergo such a process of letting go. And so do we. When we look at the book of Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 4, we learn what this process of letting go looks like in the life and in the practice of the believer. Paul says this, although I myself could boast as having confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he is confident in the flesh, I have more reason. When he talks about confidence in the flesh here, Paul is talking about having confidence in human standards. He's saying that, that as far as he's concerned, if his goodness were to be judged by human standards, he would have good reason to be confident. He would make the grade. His life's resume would check all the right boxes. But since being touched by Jesus Christ, Paul is no longer interested in being measured by human standards. And so he has renounced his religious credentials. He says he was circumcised the eighth day. It's the equivalent of saying I was baptized when I was just a baby. In some religious circles, that would mean a lot. 
But much religion is merely a human construct by which man seeks to respond to God through ceremonies and traditions. I was raised in the church. I was a part of the youth ministry. I sang in the choir. All of these are religious chores that for some people checks the religious box and causes that person to be viewed in a more positive light. Paul knows how church works. Paul knows that his being circumcised could carry some religious weight with some people, but he had to let it go. He doesn't perceive his value through that religious lens anymore. He renounces his religious credentials. Paul even has to renounce his patriotic credentials. He says he was of the nation of Israel. This certainly was something Paul would have been proud of. He hailed from the promised land. He hailed from the chosen people. He hailed from the place where God once placed his own name. That is a big deal. And for people who had high regard for Israel during that time, this would be a real badge of honor for Paul. But it's a badge Paul says he no longer needs. He let go of his patriotic credentials. If you've traveled the world, I'm sure you've experienced this. Where you tell people in other countries that you're from America and all of a sudden their eyes just light up. They have a million questions. Where are you from? I'm from the United States. You're from the United States? How is it there? How is it? Like, really? Oh, it's just a country, bro. What's wrong? People think very highly of America. Yeah. I traveled the world in the military. When you take out some U.S. dollars, all of a sudden, people just roll out the red carpet. America, the land of the free, the home of the brave. The world looks up to us. The world admires us. We represent liberty. We represent justice. We represent power to most of the residents of the world, whether we earned it or not. Whether it's true or, or not doesn't really even matter. It is the way Americans tend to be perceived. And to be honest with you, it kind of feels good. It feels good when people admire you, when other people look up to you and defer to you. But how Paul is perceived on the world stage no longer matters to him. Nor does it matter how Paul is received at home. He says this, I am of the tribe of Benjamin. This reminds us of Genesis chapter 49 when Jacob blesses Benjamin and he says this, Benjamin, is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he destroys the prey, and in the evening he divides the spoils. In other words, Benjamin is a dangerous dude. Benjamin is tough, Benjamin is a military man. Benjamin is the man. According to Joshua 18, chapter 28, Jerusalem was located within the tribe of Benjamin. That means the temple herself was there within the tribe of Benjamin. That would be something to be really proud of. People traveled for hundreds of miles to visit the temple in Jerusalem. It was a religious destination for so many. And Paul was raised there among the religious elites, among the religious scholars. I remember when I was a younger Christian, I had a serious talk with my wife and even started looking for jobs down in Florida because I wanted to go to the church where R.C. Sproul taught and preached. I had it in my mind that that was the epitome of Christianity to sit up under the teachings of Dr. R.C. Sproul. I talked to my wife about it. I started making plans to move. I wanted to be there so bad. 
I would sit and watch his videos and look at the people in the audience and just think to myself, how jealous I am of you. Sitting there in that great ministry, according to human standards. They had the very best of the faith, in my opinion. And I never met one person that went to R.C. Sproul's church, but I just imagine that some of them took special pride in being part of that ministry. Paul had been proud of being of the tribe of Benjamin, proud of his religious heritage, but no more. Paul has come to realize that there is something far more important than this. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the real deal. I was born in it. I was trained in it. I was admired for it. I was even imitated because of it. And I was promoted through the ranks. As to the law, Paul says, I was a Pharisee. I arrived. A Pharisee is one who is separated, set apart, exclusive, not run of the mill, but a specialized sect within the faith. Exclusive group, the best of the best only became Pharisees. It was like the Harvard or the Yale of the Jewish religion. And Paul was one of them. In his previous life, this was something that Paul the Apostle would have been proud of. But Paul has renounced his affiliation with the group and struck out on his own on a path he does not yet fully comprehend, breaking away from the group. And breaking away from the group couldn't have been easy. Letting go of the markers that defined his life and himself could not have been an easy feat. Paul was willing to let go of the social benefits. Paul was willing to let go of the credentials and his sense of accomplishment that he derived from his religious feats. Paul had to let go of his own ambitions. He says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. I invested my time and my energy into my convictions. Paul was on fire in the book of Acts when he holds everybody's coats as they get ready to stone Stephen to death. Paul was on fire for his faith. He had invested most of his life in fighting the good fight. He had given generously of his resources and of his talents. And we all know it. We all know it. It's hard to walk away from something once you've made personal investment, isn't it? Even after it becomes obvious that the thing that you're holding confidence in has been misplaced, it is difficult to let go. I remember I wanted to be a day trader. I decided to start taking care of my own 401 plan. And every morning I would get up and look at the stock market and try to figure out where to invest my dollars. And so once I made a couple mistakes, I figured I better get some schooling. So I took some classes on how to invest in the stock market and they set me up online with this demo deal where you go on and in real time you can invest these fake dollars into the stock market and over time see how your, how your decisions pan out. And I remember I was watching one day, I was watching one of the CEOs give an explanation of his company and what their big plans were for the future. Their stock wasn't doing very well, it was rather cheap. But he was promising that stock was going to boom and burst and they're going to do this in this country and that and that. And it all sounded very reasonable to me. 
So I called my mentor and told him my, my plan to invest three quarters of all of my fake money into this company and wait a couple years to see how things panned out. And he gave me one of the rules of stock, of stock market. He said, you never invest in anything that's going down. The stock is going down every day. Why would you put your money in something that's going down? And because if I invest in it now while it's so low, when all these big plans he has come to fruition, I'll be rich. He said, no, that, that's not the way it works, man. You never invest your money into something that, that is already on the downswing. Wait until it turns around. Wait until he follows through with some of the promises he made. Don't invest all of your money. Ah, oh, I don't want to hear that. I went ahead and I invested. Three quarters of my fake money. And I waited and I waited and I waited. Every morning I would get up and check the stock. It would be lower than it was yesterday and I couldn't understand what was going on. But I was, I was waiting for that plan. And for two years I stuck with that stock. And it fell more and more each month until finally I had no more money left. I lost all of my money. Why wouldn't I get out when I saw the thing was going south? Why wouldn't I just pull my money and say, okay, this isn't working, let me try something else. It is difficult to disinvest in something once you've invested. Once you've given your faith over to something, it's hard to turn around, to change your mind. Paul was invested in the Pharisaic religion. Paul was invested in Judaism. It has to be hard to let go of something that you've invested your time and your energy into, even when you find out that it may be the wrong course. The turnaround wasn't happening and the stock was steadily falling. But I had taken my leap of faith and I had a difficult time letting go even though it became clear to me that this thing was failing. My question for us today is can you relate to that? Is there anything that you're holding on to only because you've invested too much time and too much energy to let it go? It could be unforgiveness. You've invested too much time, too much energy into resenting someone and you can't let it go because you've invested so much. It may be a relationship that you know is not healthy for you, but you can't let it go because you've invested so much time. It may even be some idea that God has told you is not in the cards for your life, but you refuse to walk away. It's hurting you, it's harming your family, it's hurting your efforts to draw closer to God, but you just can't let it go. Paul the Apostle was committed to many things that did not honor God. But he wanted to follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. That means he had to let go of those things, and so do we. And one of the most difficult aspects of self that we must let go of is our sense of righteousness. Our sense that we are on good terms with God no matter what, our sense of righteousness. Paul says, as to the righteousness which is in the law, I would be found blameless. Now we know that's not true. Paul would not be found blameless before God according to the law. But Paul wasn't depending on God to be the standard. Paul was depending on his own personal evaluations and other people's perceptions. 
And it is impossible for another person to know or to discern if I am walking according to the precepts of God. People are easily fooled and human standards are not that hard to achieve, quite frankly. Yet these are the perceptions Paul had based his righteousness on for a season. These are the accomplishments and the accolades that informed his sense of himself. This is the internal narrative that gave him peace and comfort and a sense of self-satisfaction, made him feel secure, but no more. Paul says in verse seven, whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss because of Christ. And this is what it means to let go of the self to no longer live to serve my own interests, to no longer satisfy my need to be accepted by others, to relinquish my dependence on my works, my origin, my status, to define me as a person of value, to intentionally lose sight of myself, my goals, my desires, so that I can focus more attentively on the things that bring God glory. It means to consider the glory of God to be more precious than my own need for self-gratification. Paul says that everything that I gained was a loss for Jesus Christ. And my letting go of all of these things becomes gain for Christ. And what does Jesus Christ gain from my self-abandonment? Jesus Christ gains a soul. And what do I gain? I gain a savior. Verse eight, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Over time and by process, Paul has become willing to let go of everything that he has ever held dear in exchange for knowing Jesus Christ. And Paul is sober-minded about this affair. Paul doesn't want to make it sound like letting go of self is an easy thing to do. Letting go of self requires a good deal, Paul says here, of suffering. He suffered the loss of all things. And losing rarely feels good. He lost space among his constituents. He lost his standing among men. He lost access to special treatment or, or consideration. He even lost his own identity. He learned to consider all of these things as garbage because there was something else that was so much greater, greater. lose my identity, to lose my perception of my own self, to no longer look in another man's eyes to see what they think of me, to determine my value in the world, to lose my identity. Let me tell you something. That is a scary thing. That is a difficult thing that most Christians never accomplish. 
to let go of my perception of my own self. Why is it so difficult? It's difficult because if I let go of my identity of my own self, I have nothing to stand on. I have no foundation. Can you imagine that for a minute? Imagine being born identity, that that guy, uh, Jason Bourne, and just waking up one day and you don't know who you are. You don't know what your name is. You don't know what your history is. How terrifying would that be? This is what Jesus Christ is inviting us into. Lose your own identity. That's why I said it's a process. It can't happen all at once, you go crazy. But over time and by process, Jesus continues to ask us to let go another aspect of our identity. Let go of yourself. Let go of the you that you think you are. And trust my definition for your life. That sounds easy enough, right? Okay, Jesus, you have another definition for my life? I'll let, go, I'll let go of my definition of myself. Now, what's the definition? And that's where the pain comes in. Once you let go, it's like swinging on those bars in the circus. You swing on the bars and the other guy is swinging. You let go of yours and grab a hold of his legs and all that stuff. Yeah. You're swinging along and Jesus says, let go of the bar, let go of your identity, and I'm going to catch you. And you're swinging and you say, okay, I'm letting go of self. I'm letting go of my identity. And you let go and nobody grabs you and you're hanging in limbo, undefined. Undefined. There's probably nothing more scary in the world than becoming undefined. To having no meaning. to become unidentifiable to the whole world. And yet, as scary as that sounds, brothers and sisters, that is freedom. When Moses says to, to God, tell me your name, for the people are going to ask me who sent me. And God says, I am that I am. I have no definition. I am undefined which means I am completely free. There is no box that can hold me. There is no line or boundary that I cannot cross. I am whoever I am. That's the invitation. To let go of this world's definitions and to hang in limbo by faith. That's hard to do now. That's not easy to do. Paul said, I just want to be found in Christ, not having righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things I cannot see. When I let go of my identity, I cannot see who I am. Nobody wants to be in that space. It's a difficult space to live in. But that is the space where the children of God are called to dwell by faith, hoping for the resurrection of the dead to become who we always were. But in the meantime, 
we have to walk in this world undefined. Does that sound exciting to you? Does that sound thrilling, like the thing you've been waiting to do all of your life, to lose your definition? <laughs> it's a very difficult thing to do. And it's why many of us don't go through that process. Letting go of self is not easy. This is what makes it so foreboding. It's difficult. And that interval between losing myself and finding Jesus Christ is a hard place to be. That indeterminate state, that limbo between letting go of all that has defined me and grabbing hold of Jesus Christ. We're going to see next week how Paul did it. After he let go, Paul says, now I'm reaching to grab a hold of that which grabbed me. Well, wait a minute, Paul, you already let go of your identity. What are you holding on to? Just faith. Just faith. Just faith. If that time has not come in your life yet, maybe you haven't been to this stage in the spiritual journey yet, but the day will come where Christ will demand that you let go of your history, that you let go of your heritage, that you let go of your strongly held convictions, and that you become less defined today than you were yesterday, and that you walk with him into the unknown. Has anyone experienced that before? I say that differently. Has anyone allowed themselves to experience that before? <laughs> because God is always calling us to self-denial. God is always calling us to lose our perceptions of ourselves and to not depend on others to define us. But oh, how we define ourselves by this world's standards. Oh, how we depend on this world to tell us when we have arrived. Oh, how we depend on this world to tell us when we are good. And Christ is saying, man judges by human standards. But I judge no man, Jesus said. He's asking you today, he's challenging you today to lose sight of yourself, of your ambitions, of your goals, of your desires, and to come to him empty with nothing but silence, to wait and to hear how he will direct your life. I hesitate because I would like to describe it even further if I possibly can. It is a matter of going into prayer with God with no agenda, with no preconception, without any idea or opinion that I know the solution to anything abandoning myself, abandoning my fears, and being nothing in the presence of God, being nothing in the presence of God, and allowing the Holy Spirit in that moment to shape me, to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. This is what prayer is about. 
This is what communion with God is all about, sitting in the presence of the holy and allowing the holy to consume me. But it's a scary place to be. It's a scary place to be because all of what I believe myself to be is all based on lies and deceptions. And I want to be this person that I've made. I've spent a lifetime making this Frankenstein. And Jesus is saying, that's not who you are. But I built it. Every trauma I've ever, ever experienced has shaped me. Every success I've ever had has shaped me in one way or another. All of my experiences over a lifetime, all of my decisions have made me the person that I am. And Jesus says, let it all go. It's not true. It's a narrative that you, in participation with the world, has created. It is not the story that I want to tell with your life. And for this excellency of the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, we become willing then to suffer the loss of all things, including our own identities, so that we can know him better today than we did on yesterday. Let's pray. Father, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The process by which you transform us, the process by which you conform us into the image of Jesus Christ is complex and awful and wonderful. It is our prayer, Father God, that you would teach us how to let go of our own selves. That you would teach us how to sideline our own opinions, our own personal convictions, our own human standards, and to trust you, to trust your word. You're calling many of us, Lord God, into a season of self-abandonment. You're calling many of us into a season of reset. We confess that we have become quite comfortable where we are with the way that we think, with the way that we imagine and envision ourselves and the world. We have become comfortable. No longer willing to take great risks for you, afraid to fail, afraid to change, afraid to admit that we may have been wrong. But this is your command, Lord Jesus, that if any of us would come after you, let us deny ourselves, take up your cross, and follow you. We desire to follow you more. We desire to see your face more clearly. And if this is the price that we must pay, Lord, make us willing and make us able to lay it all on the line for your glory. In Jesus' name.